Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Ooh, man, that Monday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> It's a doozy. Hi, everyone. Hope that you are happy, healthy, and safe wherever you are right now. It is, uh, it's kind of a nice, uh, autumnal evening still in Chicago, even though we're sliding into December. It's moderate weather, so I hope that you have an opportunity to enjoy it. So it's going to be a little warm again tomorrow and then, uh, more of a cool off and some rain. But if you are uh, gearing up to get those winter decorations, your holiday decorations up, I suggest you do it as soon as possible. My husband and I are going to uh, <laughs> going to be doing some of that tomorrow. When I say my husband and I, I do mean uh, my husband, where he'll say certain things like, hey, uh, I'm going to hang this wreath off of the roof. If you don't hear from me in a few minutes, uh, come make sure I haven't fallen. So that's always fun. Of course, I have to then go stand and watch because <laughs> I don't want to be listening for any uh, sudden screams or thumps outside. But uh, I hope that you had a a lovely weekend. And of course, tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. We'd love for you to support some of the great folks that we've had on the show, including the Lakeview Food Pantry, our friends at Social Change, and of course, one of our sponsors of the show, Kids Above All. Check out the organizations if those aren't uh, ones that are in your, that don't, you know, reach your heart. And of course, there's got to be something out there. Every dollar matters to organizations all over the Chicagoland area and wherever you are. It really, especially during the the pandemic, it really became crucial to find different ways to raise money. So this year, if you have a few extra dollar bills in your wallet, if you can spare the change, if you can uh, set up, even maybe tomorrow's the day you set up a monthly payment. You're like, you know what? I want to give this organization $100, but I don't have that right now. I'm going to do $10, $15 a month. You can always uh, sign up to a lot of those groups for a monthly uh, monthly donation that way. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the great uh, organizations in the Chicagoland area. We're also going to check in with our good friend, Dr. Jason Bissell, to talk about acupuncture. We'll talk about the Chicago community acupuncture and uh, the work that they're doing and how you can, you know, get through the holidays with some stress relief and acupuncture. Maybe you've got, you know, a little TMJ. I know that one of our listeners started going to see Dr. Bissell um, after messaging me and asking if I thought it would work for TMJ. It does. Uh, I grind my teeth at night and I do need to go see the doc and uh, get a little bit of a, uh, a refresher there. We'll also talk later on. We're going to we have a couple of great conversations coming up in our second hour, because, as you know, we are now driving it home until seven o'clock. We are going to be talking to Dr. Dr. Morell. Uh, there's a great uh, series of uh, lectures and webinars that the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library has been doing. This one's actually the last one. I just found it. Uh, I don't know what I didn't think of it sooner, but they've been doing um, sort of comparing the work that Abraham Lincoln did in the face of a national crisis and obviously a lot of contention. The series has been called Warning Signs, Lincoln's Response to Rising Threats to Freedom, Justice, and Democracy. And that's going to be with the uh, Illinois State Historical Society, as well as the Four Score Speaker Series. And then coming up at 6.30, I wanted to check in with a columnist from USA Today. Michael J. Stern was blocked today by Elon Musk. And, you know, Michael's got a, a healthy Twitter follow. Following, but apparently there was something that uh, Michael J. Stern said that really got under 
Elon Musk's skin. He bugged him. So I want to find out how how and why he got blocked and how can I do the same? Or, you know, and the dangers of that as well. So I just wanted, that's our show coming up. I'll make sure that Lady B's got all the information. And of course, the information for you is how to join our conversation, 773-763-9278. That's our uh, number to call or text the show. And uh, also watch our live stream. If you are watching our live stream, you can see that we have the entire lineup, almost the entire lineup of Monaco Brewing's Progressive Brews. And uh, thank you again to Kirk Bankstead as our chief sponsor of Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez here on WCPT, the Heartland Signal. Jim's joining us. Jim, I, what's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Patty. I was just thinking of all the calls that have been addicted to the radio. The best call was for Roosevelt. We called in and said that Trump was the biggest whiner that he ever heard in his life. Yep. I went over my. I went over the history of my life. I, I've had the, uh, the unfortunate circumstance to be with four people who were given a year to live out of the blue, and none of them, not for the four of them, may God have mercy on their souls and may their souls rest in peace, whined like this gentleman in a golf course, a billionaire who's in pretty good health, apparently. I don't know. He's, he looks like he's a little, little beast. But the point is, Wanger, but Roosevelt takes the, the cake. He's absolutely, nobody's out whining this man. I've never heard anybody whining like this guy anywhere, anytime, any place in literature or anywhere. I don't think that, uh, oh, God, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Shakespeare's uh, Swings and Arrows guy. I can't think of what his name is right now. Uh, uh, Hamlet. I don't think Hamlet whines like this gentleman. <laughs> No, you're. Well, it's so funny because you know the Republican Party, from all of their bloviating in their chest pounding, acts as though they're the party of masculinity and independence and gun carrying. And you would think, as you know, that some guy who's whining like your aunt who didn't get the right cupcake from the bakery, uh, you know, that that would not be their guy. But that's their guy. They they want a whiny, a complainy. I'm trying to not use any misogynistic yeah, terms. Right. But I mean, and by the way, Aunt Pat, I'm yeah. not talking about my Aunt Pat. I'm just saying, you know, you have that one aunt that not, everything is wrong. Everything is always. No, no, no. Right? You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, you're somebody. I've got, I've got an aunt exactly like Right. That. But I was going to say that I, I called the Republican station up. I said, if Biden and Trump went out in the alley, on the back, I'm betting that Biden, I guarantee he knocks out uh, Trump when Trump's carried off on a stretcher. I say, no, they're you know, both getting up there. I say, but I'll take Biden over in a fist fight any day of the week. Anyway, Patty, I just had to say that Roosevelt had the best call. And you take care. Take care. Have a good show. Jim. Thank you so Thanks. much, Jim. Have a great evening. Yeah. You I, too, Jim. I, yeah. I have to agree. And, and here's the thing is that, you know, Trump has ye over who has said some of the stupidest, anti-Semitic, hateful things, including saying how he's going to go death con, not even knowing, like, it's not death con anything, you idiot. Uh, anyway, it's, uh, and then he brings this guy Fuentes, right? He, he, and now Trump is like, oh, I didn't, I don't, I don't know what his, what his deal is. Just like he didn't know who David Duke was, right? David Duke endorsed him, and 
and was celebrating what happened in Charlottesville. Guess who else was there? Probably carrying a tiki torch. Nick Fuentes. Tell me this guy didn't know who Nick Fuentes is. A white supremacist, sadly, from the Chicagoland area. Not that we you know, don't have our share of misguided, uh, misaligned. I mean, these, these people who just... Whatever their rage is, they put it towards other people. They, they feel like they've been cheated out of something, something's being taken from them. But that guy, Fuentes, is a full-blown white supremacist, does believe like that guy that called a few weeks ago, Booger Eaton Ken, that the, the immigrants are replacing white people. and all. It's not what this whole... Mm, and then spewing stupid things about CRT, critical race theory. It's you know what you know what's critical to acknowledge that there is racism and that people like this are garbage, and that and look, I'm not saying I'm not. They're the ones calling for violence. They're the ones reacting to the shooting and the tragedy in Colorado Springs, and they're saying things like "good" or the guy, the the shooter's dad is like, "I, I, th- I thought he was gay." And it turns out he just he just shot people. And I've always taught him that violence is the answer. And here we are. There's no there's no empathy. There's no sad. There's no going. Maybe we not a single moment. I haven't seen a single one of these people who claim that the drag queen performances are events to lure children without any. Look, the same mentality that was like, oh, yeah, there's litter boxes in classrooms so that kids who identify as cats can use them without any evidence of that ever happening. That took off like wildfire the same way that drag queen events are somehow a grooming ground to lure children to sexualize them when they're the ones who do the the craziest things when it comes to having republicans get who get caught masturbating near near a school with like the police documents that they are doing that with uh, the the tra- trafficking of young girls across state lines. I mean, they get caught, it's documented, and yet when there was nothing going on except for people celebrating at Club Q, not a single Republican who has spewed these hateful things has said, you know what, maybe we, maybe we are taking this too far. We, we, you know, nobody, nobody has said, well, we didn't, we didn't intend for anyone to get hurt. They didn't even even say that. Even, you know what? If they did say that, it wouldn't be enough. But at least it would be some shining glimmer of hope, I guess, that they will take some responsibility for the things that they say that lead to violence because they have been calling for this kind of tragedy for a while and they're continuing it by saying well none of them were Christians so what difference does it make now their their souls have been released and and they can be judged like they're saying these things and I know we don't want to hear it and I don't know if I'm right to tell you that this is what's going on that people are acting this way that they are they're saying things like good about people losing their lives at a nightclub simply celebrating a night out it's beyond disgusting. Let's take a break here. I take a breath. I got really angry. Let's take a break. 773-763-9278 is the number to call and join our conversation. Coming up a little, you know what? Maybe I should see if Dr. Bussell can just do acupuncture while I'm on the air. Will that help me relax? I don't think so. That's probably not the best way to relax on the air. We'll be right back on the Heartland Signal. 
Mind over matters. Dr. Amy Harris. Nuan, as you know, this show is about challenging you to think differently, to make different choices in your life, to take action, to create positive outcomes in your life. So I want to challenge you to look at your life holistically. To where am I satisfied? What areas uh, need attention? And then go to work, take an action, what you need to do. Mind over matters with Dr. Amy Harris Nuan. Sundays at 10 a.m. on WCPT 820. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. Percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thank you so much for joining us. I am uh, uh, really just trying very hard to keep my composure uh, when I'm talking about the hateful things that have led to violence, uh, not just in, obviously in, in Colorado, whether it's January 6th or in Uvalde or in Highland Park or all these situations where, uh, for whatever reason, uh, people get this, get in their minds this twisted idea that they have to hurt other people, uh, they have to take the lives of others because they're enraged by something. And, uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm not conflating uh, any of them except that in many of the cases uh, there is uh, a gun situation. There we have too many guns. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, tutting from uh, coming from Canada and, and Britain about how you know that they've had the number of school shootings that they've ever had. I believe in Canada they said 11 uh, kids died in school shootings. Not this year, but. Uh, I believe they said ever. Anyway, a lot of mocking about how it's the guns. Yes, there is a mental health issue. And I and I really, again, if, if people are going to say well, we have to do something about mental health and then turn around and cut funding for services in our urban areas, the lack of resources for people who live in rural areas, don't tell me it's a mental health issue and you won't do anything about mental health. And don't say we can't talk about guns and then and you don't want to do anything about guns. It, it's yeah, we definitely have a mental health crisis that we need to fund, that we need to also elevate the messaging about and let people know that if you are struggling, you can find help. And there are so many different ways to do that. But at the same time, we don't not everybody has access. I, I speak from a place of really of privilege. I, I have health insurance. I live in a community that if I needed to turn to somebody and say, hey, do you know someone I can talk to you about um, this traumatic situation in my life or I'm having anxiety attacks, I can do that. And I also have people in my life who support me and know when I'm going through a a tough time or a crisis and don't shame me and tell me that uh, don't give me, you know, and by the way, believe some people do, oh, you know, tomorrow will be a better day or just take a nap or, you know, people who like sort of brush you off and, and, and diminish the struggle that you're going through can make it harder. Try to check yourself when you're talking to somebody because it does make us question whether or not uh, our feelings are valid, uh, whether or not we are safe to express ourselves. So there's a lot that goes into it, but it's the guns too. It's the guns. It ever, it's 
oh, it's the guns. We have more guns than people in this country, folks. More guns than people. How is it? This is not sustainable. And the fact that we won't we won't ban military style weapons that have rounds, hundreds of you can slaughter hundreds of people in seconds. I mean, look at the shooting in Las Vegas and nothing happened. A guy shooting from a window, injuring what injuring 400, murdering dozens and and we still we can't do anything. Children slaughtered in their classroom. Little girl, as her friend was dying, covers herself in blood so that the shooter will think that she's dead. Calling. There are people their kids calling from inside the classroom, begging, begging from help for help from a, to a dispatcher as law enforcement is outside with way more guns. I'm just not sure what to do. But you know why? Because they were afraid of getting shot. Because their legislators let that kid have access to a military-style rifle that we should all be afraid of. I don't blame you. But then don't tell us that we can't have some sort of safe— you know, Every every time a Democrat wins, whether it's in the, the, in the White House or at a high level in uh, the General Assembly, the, in Congress, they're, like, they're going to come for the guns. They're going to come for the guns. You know what? Let's do that. Fine. Let's come for at least a couple, couple, two, three guns. But we've never come for the guns. No one has ever come for the guns when they are legally purchased. And even then, if you're a black man and you're legally carrying a weapon in your car, you can be shot because law enforcement doesn't doesn't doesn't. Uh, oh, you want us? You want people to be weaponized? But if they do happen to have it and they don't fall in the right criteria, well, not that guy. That guy, but not that guy. I'm just, I can't take it anymore. Um, just to add to your commentary about guns and mental illness, studies have shown that most people with mental illness do not cr- uh, commit crimes of violence like mass shootings. They are more likely, yes, they are more likely to hurt themselves. Um, thank you for talking about this topic. Yes. I mean, they, it's two, it is two different things. You're right. Most people don't uh, t- take out their their mental health crisis on a classroom of children and they're they're not going to do it if they can't get the gun it's just crazy I, I really do wish that there was something uh, that's another organization that you can uh, look into if you would like to support tomorrow for Giving Tuesday uh, One Aim is an organization that is dedicated to ending gun violence uh, there's a lot of great organizations obviously in our in communities throughout the state of Illinois that you can contribute to uh, I highly encourage you a lot because tomorrow for Giving Tuesday a lot of organizations are pairing up with companies and corporations that will match your dollars. So it's a great way to maximize a donation, help organizations like, let's say, there's a matching donation of 25000 Help them get to that so that they can then have $50,000 going into the end of the year, going into the holiday season. Kids Above All is having a toy drive for the kids in their care and for families that rely on their services. There's a lot of great organizations. Of course, all of the uh, the food pantries. I know the Chicago Food Depository is, uh, is asking for for donations as well. And I, uh, I've i got so many great friends that work in so many groups who want to donate to social change. Uh, they're helping get out the vote in Georgia. And I keep getting these alerts that uh, that Reverend Warnock is uh, in the lead, which are much better um, messages to get than the things I'm seeing about Herschel Walker. And I didn't I missed that clip where he said this is an important erection. 
And I mean, if you say so, sir, I guess if, hey, I, I, I mean, I don't know if how compared to others, if it's more important than if you can have that kind of comparison. All right, then. But uh, yeah, Herschel Walker is uh, definitely, uh, please, please don't let him go to, don't let him, please don't let him be a senator of Georgia. I've, I don't know if we have any listeners in Georgia, but we're begging you for the whole country. It's it's not, it's not okay. It's just some of these folks that are already in office. I, I don't get it. Doesn't it make you think, like, how hard can it be? To run for office in some of these places. Like, wouldn't, you know what I wish? I mean, like, I wish that there was some, you know, wealthy Democrat that isn't well known, doesn't have a high profile, but would like move into some of these areas and start running. Like, not as a, like, whatever it takes to, to get to that point. If, if nobody's ever going to run for Democrat, I mean, maybe we need to start running, you know? Fox and sheep's clothing. I was saying, get some rich guys, some rich folks, some rich women into some of these areas and have them run red and then go, psych, gotcha. No, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. Uh, it really, to peel these folks away, because they maybe, maybe that's how we deprogram people in the cult. We have to send people into the cult and then, like, slowly start to talk reason to them and start moving them toward. You know, some sort of, uh, you know, I, 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 because they seem to fall for tricks very easily. They seem to fall for shiny, bright, shiny objects, and and you say the right things, and and you, you, if you're crass, and you you call people buttercup and snowflakes and woke. Oh my God, I still can't believe this this thing that Elon Musk is on about wokeism. And he, oh, I found a whole closet filled with uh, "Stay Woke" T-shirts, which came from Ferguson, which came from the 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 pro. Protests in reaction to to a, to a murdered black man. That it, yeah, yeah, of course, a community that is struggling with its local law enforcement, with the the instability of what it's what's going on, the 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 disproportionate relationship that the police department had. Uh, yeah, you know what? Be awake to those things. Tell me what is so bad about being aware that crappy things are going on, that there is injustice, that there is violence going on. Yeah, please, for all, by all means, be awake to that stuff. But no, Elon Musk is on this whole kick about how there has to be some other side of, of wokeism. Yeah, it's hatred. It is inciting violence. It's the kind of stuff that he is amplifying and encouraging. And, and I don't know how I don't know how it's sustainable on Twitter. I, and, and I see the point that my friend Heather Lally made last week. She's the uh, editor in chief for um, uh, Winsight of grocery business. And she was saying how valuable it is to journalists to be able to, one, share stories, communicate, amplify their messaging and things like that. But uh, I just, I, I don't know if any of these other platforms will work. We've all gotten used to this one. But man, Elon Musk seems like he's on a mission to destroy it and to unleash a whole bunch of just nastiness, uh, encouraging anti-Semitism, encouraging misogynistic attacks on on women who express themselves. I mean, like a lot of us are seeing more bots. I'm seeing them on the uh, Patty Vasquez show page. I'm seeing folks just, and I wonder if it's from a place of panic, like because there was this assumption that there was going to be a red wave and that didn't pan out. So now they're lashing out and just spreading uh, just really hateful stuff. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, uh, I know some of you have been wondering about the signal and uh, our state 
Foundation uh, Operations Manager Matt mentioned explained this. Uh, you know, as far as our radio signal strength, and and when it gets dark out, we only reach so far. So you've got to find a place to listen to us. You can go to HeartlandSignal.com. You can watch the live stream on Facebook uh, for the WCPT Facebook page. You can also uh, check us out on if you get you know like the TuneIn Radio app. You can find us there. Let's take a break here. We'll catch up on traffic and we'll check in with our good friend, Dr. Jason Bissell. After this on the Heartland Signal, we're driving it home till 7. There's new information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. Need for information. Get the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. All right, let me catch up on some of these travel times. The Stevenson outbound from DuSable Lakeshore Drive to I-35 is at 42 minutes. The Stevenson inbound from I-355 to DuSable Lakeshore Drive is at 32 minutes. Dan Ryan outbound from the Burn Interchange to 95th Street is at 36 minutes. The accident there has been cleared at 83rd Street. Dan Ryan inbound from 95th to the Burn Interchange is at 16 minutes. There's stop and go traffic between Canal Port and, and the Burn Interchange. The Bishop Ford outbound from the Dan Ryan to the Dan Ryan to I-8094 is at 14 minutes. The Bishop Ford inbound Inbound from I-80-94 to the Dan Ryan is at 11 minutes. I-57 southbound from I-80 to U.S. 45-52 is at 36 minutes. The DuSable Lakeshore Drive southbound Hollywood to Monroe looks uh, it's got a 7-minute delay. It's at 17 minutes. DuSable Lakeshore Drive northbound from Marquette to Monroe is at 12 minutes. Tri-State northbound from the Bishop Ford to the Wisconsin State Line is at 87 minutes. There are, is an accident with two left lanes blocked uh, at the on the Tri-State northbound approaching approaching Bensonville Bridge. Tri-State southbound from the Wisconsin State Line to the Bishop Ford is at 100 minutes. There is a 22-minute delay with slow traffic between Lawrence Avenue and the O'Hare Aces as well as the Stevenson Expressway uh, and the 8th and 87th Street. And that's all of your traffic. One second, let me... Uh, let's just start talking. <laughs> really, who are we kidding, Dr. Bissell? I was just trying to like dust up a little bit of... Uh, it's, it, it's hard to see all the traffic times when the mm-hmm. screen jumps and I'm like, where was I? So I can't... I'm, I'm still trying to figure that all out. And maybe it's because uh, there's not as much sunshine. I know it's part of what you wanted to talk about. <laughs> you heard me ranting and uh, getting angry. Um, and you're like, oh, let's see if we can uh, maybe address that with a little seasonal disorder conversation. How are you doing, first of all, Doc? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was great. Thank you. It was really nice to get together again with some of the extended family that we hadn't seen for the last two years. So I'm really grateful for that. I think a lot of folks were reconvening, trying to pick up where they left off a couple of years ago. Uh, we went the other way. We actually, I think we made our, our gathering even smaller this year. <laughs> just, just, the st- just the stress. I'm trying to ma- manage the stress in my life. Yeah, well, that's there's a lot to manage here. I, I felt like I had to talk you off the ledge when I came in here <laughs> listening to you in the last segment here. And I'm sorry that this is the reality of what we're dealing with yeah. here. And that that's more than what I was prepared to, well, to it's, try and discuss today. Well, when you compound it with uh, personal stuff, right? You know that, that because you mm-hmm. actually saw my son Declan before we ended up going to Lurie's and, and t- taking another uh, direction with his treatment. Um, he's, he's a little bit mobile. He has a, a walker now. Um, but you were very good. And you're like, look, this is... You 
know, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I suggest. And a lot of what you had, we discussed with kind of a reset for Declan is essentially what they uh, also prescribed at uh, Lurie's and Shirley Ryan. And we're continuing on that path. It just, it, you probably know it's a long one considering yeah. how locked up he was when you saw him. Yeah, he was in rough shape. So I'm really glad to hear that he's able to walk a little bit now yes. with the walker. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, um, it's a new, it's not, it's not the new normal because we're trying to, we, you know, keep up hope that he'll be independent because he just loved to walk. And that's something that I think for all of us was part of our mood stabilizers. We go for a walk, you know, especially, uh, you know, on a warm autumnal day. But uh, it's hard to get excited about walking in cold weather. Do you work out? I know that you're a runner and an athlete. Do you run in this weather? I mean, that, this is not bad, but. Yeah, I jogged this morning. It was uh-huh. a little rough. It was 34 degrees. Yeah. Took a while to warm up, but as it gets, if it gets much colder, I will be inside. And I'm usually jogging in the morning before the sun comes up, so I'm not getting in that sunshine, which is so good for us. Right. So what I, what I wanted to talk with a little bit about was the seasonal affective disorder, which is I think is starting to creep in for some folks here. I'm starting to see it in my office, starting to see it with my peers and my friends on Facebook, and wanted to talk a little bit about that, that it's, it's very prevalent. And I get it, and a lot of the people I know get it. It used to bother me more. I used to get concerned about it. And now I've reframed that a little bit. Every spring, I get elated. I get excited. I get a burst of energy. I love seeing the days getting longer, seeing the green come out of the trees. I get, I get a boost sure. at that time. And I couldn't have that lift if I didn't have the drop that leads into it. Interesting. So this is just part of the natural sequence here. Right. Everything slows down in the winter. Everything withdraws. Everything retreats. In the winter. So it's natural and normal for us to be reflecting nature and to be doing some of that. I believe we're all somewhat solar powered. And so we're getting less sun. We're going to have less power. Look at the bears. I mean, they, they've got it right. <laughs> not the Chicago bears. I'm not sure they've got say, it right. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but the hibernation, I'm, I don't think we can do that. We don't have the fat stores. to. to oh, I try. Believe me, I yeah. try. <laughs> yes, but to slow down and to be okay with doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, if... If it goes beyond a manageable level of this, some people get it so bad they're not getting out of bed, they're not able to go to work, they're not able to take care of their activities of daily living, then for them, they do need to do something. Sure. And for them, I have a couple of suggestions. One is to try and get some natural sunlight, however possible, just sit in a window. If you can, try and get some natural sunlight. If you can't, get those full-spectrum light bulbs. There's some good research showing that those can help. It simulates the sun, and that somehow tricks our body into thinking that we're getting a little bit more of those positive rays. Try and get a little bit of exercise. As I had said, we do slow down in the winter, but we shouldn't slow down to a stop. Right. So we don't want to turn into sloths. We all put on some winter pounds here. And that doesn't help us feel better. That doesn't help our bodies function any better. It doesn't help our minds. So try and get some walks. Try and make it to the gym. Try and make it to the pool. Um, One of the things I tell my patients if they're not getting any exercise at all is that before their morning shower, to just... When they turn on the water and they're waiting for it to warm up to knock out a set of deep knee bends. Okay. And then the next day is knock out a set of jumping jacks or push-ups on your knees. And just one minute is infinitely more than nothing. And I like to do it in the morning because then it gives you something to feel good about for the rest of the day. I like that. And another tip that I have for folks when they're dealing with depression 
a lot of times we get caught up in what can I do to make myself feel better? I'm feeling lousy. What can I do for myself? Should I buy myself something? Should I treat myself to something? Should I take myself somewhere? And I suggest shifting that focus to what can you do to make somebody else feel better? Mm. Be a blessing for somebody else. There's so many people in greater need than we are, and, and or even equal need or lesser need, but they still have needs. So if you can find a way to volunteer to help somebody out, then that is wonderful for building your self-esteem and your pride, and it, and it makes the world a better place. Even if it's bringing, uh, we have a, um, a like a neighborhood sort of mini food, uh, food pantry uh, near Olive Gar- Olive's Garden. It's the name of the garden mm-hmm. um, uh, over here on the northwest side. And there, I know that there are love p- fridges all over the city where you can drop off food. And I was actually there when someone walked up to, and they, you know, they were kind of like, I'm like, no, just I'll, let me, I'll give you some room and go ahead and grab what you need, you know. And I agree, like any little thing that sort of gives you that a uh, uh, boost. I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned. Mentioned, and, I, and I'm not sure if I heard you correctly about sort of uh, appreciating when things do get better uh, gives you perspective on when things are not great. You almost have to have this sort of we, you know, we obviously this is the way nature works. We need the the frost and the, and the way the Midwest works for whether it's uh, agriculture or it's just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. And acknowledging that like this is crappy now. And there's going to be, uh, you know, sunshine and flowers will bloom again. Is that part of? Because for me, it's like um, it does help to to acknowledge. Okay, I'm doing. This is what's happening now. It's going to be okay, kind of a thing. Yes, that is the whole concept of yin and yang mm-hmm. in Chinese medicine and in Chinese culture. Is that the, the dark and the light complement each other? The summer and the winter complement each other. You can't have one without the other. Right. People will often talk about San Diego as having this gorgeous weather. And it's true. I've been there. They have gorgeous weather every day. They don't appreciate it. Right. In Chicago, we get like six really good days a year. And we appreciate the heck out of them. (laughs) And we we, we celebrate them. We talk about them for weeks because we have all this other junk surrounding it to make it stand out. So you can't appreciate the warmth without knowing the cold. You can't appreciate the happiness without knowing the sadness. And if you take a step back from that, it's all just part of the whole. There is no good or bad. There's just two sides of the same coin. Right. So not to sweat about this stuff. It's just... What it is, right? I was telling my husband the other day because I had my a, a migraine. You know, I've told you before that I, I have migraines once in a while. Uh, I had gone for years with maybe having one a year, if right. And there started. I think stress is starting to take its toll with me a little bit. I've had three this year, so it's not terrible, mm-hmm. but it's not great. But one of the things that I'm able to latch on to when I'm in the middle of a migraine, like just wanting every, like it's it's terrible, um, is that I I know what the euphoria feels like when it breaks. I mean, it is the biggest sense of relief. But I told my husband this last time. I was so mad because I never got it. I never got it. like because there's, there's it, like my whole body just has like this tingling, like you know that sort of residual. Uh, I know how much it hurt, and my body just it just it's exhilarating. And I didn't get that this time. It just reminded me of making it through a long winter, and I'm like, I better enjoy the spring. <laughs> I better get that sense of it. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry you didn't get yeah, that, didn't that get payback that boost, this time. Yeah. But in general, that's that's how I kind of, what you mentioned is made me think of that. Yes. And it reminded me of this whole idea of Thanksgiving and being thankful for what we have and not taking it for granted. Every day that you ha- don't have a headache. Right. 
we take those for granted. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I agree. I, I, I do. That's a good. That's a good. A good way to put it. Now for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I remember years ago, my father was giving to, uh, the the grace for Thanksgiving, and he was talking about how how often does it happen? You go out to your car and it doesn't start, and you say, "Oh gosh, darn it!" Yep. How often do you turn on your car and it starts, and you say, "Oh, thank goodness." Yeah, that's a good point. And so to try and be thankful, not just on the one day in Thanksgiving, but for every day, it can make it more more enjoyable to go through life. Right. All the days that we go through without pain, all the days that we are able to be fully functional, every day that your son is able to walk a little better than he was right. a month ago. Right. All these are, are things to be celebrated. And it's fleeting. So don't wait for the big accomplishments to celebrate because those are few and far between. But the daily triumphs. Should really be celebrated. I have to say that's that's really kind of the where we come from. It was something that that occurred to me when Declan was very little, um, which is was was essentially you know I'd spent so much time. The doctors told me all the things he wasn't going to be able to do, and you know it was a horrible list. You know he'll never walk, he'll never talk, he'll never surpass the intellectual ability of a two year old. All these things, and I just remember thinking I I can't I can't I can't do this. And then Declan was crying one night while everybody else was sleeping, and I picked him up, and I could breathe. Right. Like holding him just made me feel like I had a purpose. Right. And I realized I had to stop worrying about all the things he couldn't do and start loving all the things that he could do. And I do have that part of my personality. It's part of what I think helps me get through a lot of things. Um, and I'll give you an example. We, we've, I won a trick. At, uh, I won a round trip trip round. Yes, that's correct. Round trip trip um, mm-hmm. to London. Ooh. Business class on British Airways. Oh, jolly good! To stay at the Ritz Carlton, right? Oh, yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. This was a big ticket win. I only spent forty bucks on this ticket to win the raffle, and uh, but I had never flown in that kind of luxury before, right? So every time they brought me something, they brought me like a warm towel. I was like, yay! They brought us like champagne and this amazing meal. I had like steak and all this stuff. And uh, by the time we landed in London, uh, the flight attendant said. Is it your first time in first class, sweetie? And I was like, how are rich people just not giddy about, <laughs> to your point, like, they don't, like, everything is expected, and there's almost this just disdain for what all of us would just, we would cheer for. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's what I was thinking of as well. I have that in me. I just got to find it again, Doc. I'm just feeling a little, feeling a little uh, rudderless right now. Yes. Uh, so, try, try and meditate and no. try and do some service and try and get a little bit of exercise, get those full spectrum lights. And I'm so sorry to say, sometimes we got to turn off the news. I know. I know. Stop looking at the... I know. My husband would tell you. She looks at Twitter right before she goes to bed, and she looks at it again when she wakes up. i got to stop doing that. Um, I do want to ask you about... Let me think. Let me take a break here, but I want to ask you... You mentioned the uh, the lights. I saw something about these red lights. I was wondering if you know anything about them, too, because I've never seen... like People are trying to improve their vision by staring into these red lights. I'll show you a picture in a moment, <laughs> see if it's something you're familiar with. We'll be right back after this on WCPT. We're hanging out with Dr. Jason. Myself from Chicago Community Acupuncture, shikumaku.com, shikumaku.com, like the girls say. More on uh, the Heartland Signal after this. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. Stocking stuffer season is here. Monaco Brewing Company is celebrating Cyber Monday until midnight tonight with discounts on the Progressive Beer merchandise. Get the well, you have to get the merch. Visit Get Merch section of the Monaco Brewing Company website for today only. You'll find ten to twenty five percent savings on selected Progressive Beer gear, like caps, cozies. Is it cozies or koozies? Is it koozies? The doc says it's koozies. Mm-hmm. See. 
I should know by the K. Cozies. Koozies. You know what I mean. Tomato, tomato. T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, and leggings. Choose reason over treason by treating yourself as well as your rational thinking friends and loved ones to a unique political fashion statement this holiday season by visiting com. Do it today before midnight for Cyber Monday. <laughs> You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. You are listening to Driving It Home with your host, Patty Vasquez. That's me. I'm in studio with Dr. Jason Bissell from the Chicago Community, from Chicago Community Acupuncture, chikumaku.com mm-hmm. to uh, set up your appointments. And I know you had Veterans Day. You also have uh, a monthly uh, special for our, our vets that have served in the military. Yes. The, the first Wednesday of each month, we have dedicated for serving our vets with half-price treatments for psycho-emotional issues. So depression, PTSD, anxiety, and insomnia. Those work great. We have those days set aside just for your vets. So if you're struggling, please don't struggle. Reach out. We'd love to help you out. My associate, Diane, is an Air Force vet and has got a lot of sympathy for the plight that you all go through. And uh, she volunteered and put this program together, and we're very proud of it. Excellent. So that'll be next Wednesday is the the first Wednesday yep. of December. Mm-hmm. So make your appointments. And I will tell you, the first time I went in, I had a bad shoulder. And the doc like moved my arm when he, and he said, uh, take off your shoe for a second. And he did something to my ankle or my, my I think it was the calf area or ankle area. Mm-hmm. And it helped my right shoulder so much. I eventually had to get a little more treatment, but it, it, it has not, that has, that pain has not come back on the, the right side. <laughs> so thank you very much. You're welcome. Oh, I love this. I've been doing it for 20 years. I feel like I learned how to do magic. You did. You had that look. You're one of those folks that still gets excited and are delighted when you see the results of your expertise and the manifestation of someone feeling better. Yes, it's a great job. I get to spend my days helping people feel better in a way that I know is safe. Like we're not going to have, you know, Western medicine keeps having these instances of the the miracle drug having to be pulled off the market because, oops, it's killing people. But I don't do anything to a patient that's been studied for less than a thousand years. So I feel very safe in the interventions that I use here. Yeah. But you brought amazing. up, yeah, you brought up your shoulder pain that got me to another thing I wanted to talk about here. It hasn't hit yet, but snow is going to be coming. Yes. And every year I get a handful of back-related injuries, back injuries from shoveling. And so I'd like everybody to be very cautious in how they they shovel. I made a video, put it on YouTube. I put a link on the Chikomaku Facebook page, the Chicago Community Acupuncture Facebook page, and for my WOMED office, a Center for Oriental Medicine, that Facebook page. And I can send the link to you, Patty, if you want to put it on yours as well. So it's just a, a couple-minute tutorial for how to shovel with proper form so you won't tweak your back or your knees. Because I have done both too many times and had to learn the hard way to, to use proper form. So I want everybody to be safe throughout this. Because they say we're going to get a lot of snow. I hope they're wrong uh, about that. I don't know how they can la, accurately la, la, predict la, la. what's going to happen over the next three months <laughs> when they can't predict what's going to happen in the next three days. But they've right. been making in this argument that it's going to be a very snowy winter for us, and I want people to have the tools to protect themselves. I don't think I like the words that you're saying about the predictions for a lot of snow. Let me take a call because I know Dave has been on hold real quick. This is about uh, classified documents real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know how we can uh, use acupuncture to uh, alleviate, maybe it's alleviate the stress that you have uh, reading Trump stories. Hey, Dave, what's going on? <laughs> no, I was telling Lady B in that um story out of the New York Times and that are asked and four European news organizations are calling on U.S. Justice Department to drop charges against 
Julian Assange. Oh, no, I haven't seen this. Yeah, for obtaining and publishing classified diplomatic military secrets and that, and and, uh, trying to say that it threatens to undermine America's First Amendment and freedom areas. And he's the same one that, you know, went in high, you know, went into the Ecuadorian embassy and stuff like that for um, where he was had a rape allegation in Sweden. You know, Jesus sounds a lot like Donald Trump. I know, I know. uh, with uh, Mar-a-Lago and that, and uh, but I mean, this is pretty bad. And New York Times is, you know, calling, you know, to drop, you know, to drop charges. I mean, who's next? And are they going to start asking that? Uh, you know, don't worry about Mar-a-Lago. You know. <laughs> oh, brother! Yeah, uh, it's I mean, the stuff that he he had posted and that. I mean, how many uh, people possibly got outed? Well, that's the thing, and there's so many spinning plates. You hope that somebody is uh, paying attention to the the uh, you know the precedent that they're establishing with this. Yeah. Hey, Patty. Before I leave, I'll give you one with um, when you were talking about first class and stuff. And this one, my my sister used to work at a, for uh, Chicago's very own a while back, and there used to be this. Uh, uh, ad agency that they they used to use for years and years and years. Well, they had one where this guy walked up and looked behind the curtains, and he came out of. Uh, he thought he was in first class, and the flight attendant said, "Oh no, sir, you're back in coach." Oh dear! And when he looked in the uh, first class, it was you know just all wild partying. It is. It's insane. Color. Yeah. It's like and a frat house when you walk through. It was black and white, and the other, and they were feeding them gruel and stuff like that. Yep. So. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. All right. Have a good well. one. You too. Thanks so much. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Jason Bissell, Chicago Community Acupuncture, shikumaku.com. And when folks come, when they make an appointment, what should they expect when they come in uh, as far as a treatment? Like for like their first treatment, how, how should they prepare? Oh, just wear loose-fitting clothing <laughs> and be, uh, be prepared to talk about your various systems. If you come in for ankle pain, I still am going to ask about how you're breathing, how your digestion is, how your skin is, your sleep, your mood. Because this is holistic medicine and we don't see any part separate from the rest of the body. So we want to treat all of you. Patients will often ask, well, I've got these couple things going on with me. Can you treat more than one thing? And I say, we treat one thing at a time, and that thing is you. Right. So bring all you got. You will have a little interview. We'll talk about your various systems, what's going on with you, how long it's been. And then we sit you down in a chair, a comfortable lounge chair, and we put some needles in you, typically between about 4 and 20. They're super thin. They're about the, the diameter of three hairs. So many times you don't even feel them go in. True Once story. they're in. Yep. And I hate needles, by the way. They're great. Oh, only junkies like needles. <laughs> wow. And so nobody, because every other needle has been a big one that hurts you. Yes. Our needles don't hurt. So, there you go. so once the needles are in, patients lie back for about 30 minutes. They, most of them find, experience a state of deep relaxation. About 20% fall asleep. And then we pull the needles out. We see how you're feeling. 60% of the time, people have notice a benefit right away. Uh, sometimes it can be a couple hours after. Sometimes it can be a couple days after. Sometimes it can take a couple pushes to get that ball rolling. But it does work for about 90% of folks within a couple treatments. And then folks are able to go on with the rest of their day. The most common side effect of the acupuncture is a lingering sense of calm and well-being, mm-hmm. which is rarely a problem. 
And I, it makes me laugh. I had a, a female patient, a, a young girl, about 13 years old, several years ago. I put some needles in, and we were checking her out. And she said, well, I'm supposed to go swimming later today. Is that okay? And I said, oh, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. It's not like you're going to cramp up or anything. And she said, oh, no, but the holes. Where the, is the water going to spill into me? Aww. She was afraid she was going to get waterlogged and, and sink. <laughs> Aw, so, that's so sweet. So that will not happen. You can go swimming. I don't recommend that you exercise right after because you do have this, this kind of zen state, and we want you to stay calm and relaxed as long as you can. But you're free to go on with all of your daily activities. And the uh, Office for Chicago Community Acupuncture is at Milwaukee, Devon, and the, all of them meet right there. Milwaukee, Devon, Devon and Nagel. And Nagel, yeah. They're yeah. all right by the Superdog. Right, right in front of Superdog, yes. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great. It is parking right there. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a wonderful office, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again at the end of next month. Yes, thank, thank you for messaging. I think what's what's uh, is it? Uh, it's the day after New Year's. No, wait, the day after Christmas. So the December, day after Christmas. Yep, so I'll be December here. 26th. Will you be here? I'll be here. Yes. All right. Look forward to seeing you then. Thanks, thank Patty. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. Is there a phone number you want to share with folks too? Oh, sure. Call and call us at Chicago Community Acupuncture seven seven three. Eight five three zero nine two zero, or go to chikomaku.com. Outstanding, like like the like the girls like say. the girls say. <laughs> we'll be back right back after this. We're going to talk to Dr. Morell about this uh, these great events that they're having at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library. More after this on Driving at Home. Chicago's Progressive Talk WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. You guys, I feel really silly that I'm doing this uh, as an incredible series uh, is being presented at the, uh, well, it's throughout the country because it's all online, but the Lincoln Presidential Forum has a uh, series called Warning Signs, Lincoln's Response to Rising Tensions in the 1850s. And joining us is Dr. Lucas Morrell. Uh, you're a professor, at, I'm, I'm trying to catch up on everything, but uh, you're a professor of politics at Washington and Lee University. Is that accurate? That's right, in Lexington, Virginia. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. I know this was a little bit last minute, and you were the first presenter in this series. I am a dork for uh, all things Abraham Lincoln. I love the museum down in Springfield. Yes. Uh, I love that your uh, Twitter handle is at Lincoln Douglas. Outstanding. (laughs) Douglas with two S's, I have to tell your your listeners. This is Frederick Douglas, not Stephen Douglas. Yes. So it's Douglas. Have you been to the Presidential Museum in Springfield? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, we consider Springfield the Holy Land uh, among us historians and political scientists. <laughs> yes. uh, so I have to ask, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, because growing up, we didn't have the Lincoln Library the way it, way it is now. I'm 51. The library had to have been built in the last 30 years or so. And the first time I went, there were so many things that just dazzled me. But when Trump was running for office, one of the things that struck actually, I apologize. Let me go back. Uh, it was when President Obama was in office and there's that hallway of holograms of people yelling about calling, you know, Lincoln, all these different names. Yeah. And, and, you know, we yeah. it's startling because we all sort of, you know, with the history uh, through the lens of history, we have this idealized vision of him. Uh, but it's more complicated mm-hmm. than that, isn't it? Oh, way more complicated. <laughs> in fact, um, even those who eventually became his friends or allies, uh, uh, they underestimated him and had a lot to criticize him uh, uh, about, including Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass uh, becomes one of Lincoln's uh, closest admirers, but was a vociferous 
critic of Lincoln's during the Civil War. So, yeah, the fact that uh, Lincoln had his haters uh, back then, that was uh, par for the course. It really and and just nasty. You know, we don't think about all the things that were written uh, in disdain for him and not wanting him to be president. Uh, Let's start a little bit with uh, with sort of this series. Tell us about uh, warning signs and what they are doing with this forum. Mm hmm. What we're trying to do is, and I believe I'm the lone political scientist, there's three historians, and I masquerade as a historian because my work with Lincoln, I've got to know about the Civil War, and to know Lincoln, I argue, you have to know about the American founding. So those are specialties of mine as a political scientist in terms of understanding the, you know, the ideals and principles of the regime, the structures, and what I like to call the civic habit of a people, what it is that we have to do and think about one another and how we ought to act publicly in between elections, as it were, in order to make a a republic work. And so what this series is trying to do is show that, you know, 1860 and the crisis of secession and and people saying literally not my president when Lincoln was elected and they didn't want him to be elected. They wanted greater protection for slavery. And that's what produced secession and eventually the the Civil War. Um, That didn't happen overnight. That decade, that the 1850s, was a tumultuous decade in terms of the great, what Lincoln called the great behemoth of danger, which is the future of slavery, racial slavery, the enslavement of black people on American soil. That issue had been looming for a while, and it became a greater and greater source of division throughout that decade. And this is what brings us um, brings Lincoln into the foreground as that decade progressed. And do you see, uh, and I, for, for a lot of folks who maybe don't follow a lot of this or, or listen to the uh, Cooper Union address uh, <laughs> by the guy from Law and Order, I don't know if you've ever seen the the, the actor. That's, oh yeah, Sam Waterston. Yeah, absolutely. Water, mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a great uh, it's great to listen to. It's a, it's like an hour forty six minutes, but it's a long speech. <laughs> it's a it's a long one, but you know it it goes back to the the Constitution and what our father, forefathers intended. You know we continue to have yeah. these arguments today. And he breaks it down over and over again in that speech. Um, you know, having lost to Stephen Douglas just a few years before, do you think that it really was the catalyst of slavery, of uh, human bondage, that he decided I, ha- I had to go, I-, I have to put myself back out there? Is that, was yeah, that the compelling? Sure. Yeah. What's interesting is that Lincoln used the plight of the potential of black, more black people becoming enslaved out in the territories. In other words, places where most white people in America did not live, Lincoln made what happens to people who don't look like white people relevant to the security of freedom and rights, liberties for whites. He had to make the racial issue of slavery a matter of uh, national importance. And But for that, we would never have heard of Lincoln. Well, and that's one of the things I uh, my son wrote a uh, history paper a few years ago about the second governor of Illinois, Governor Coles, who was oh, yeah, Edward, yeah, very yeah. important figure. Well, and, yes. And I now I went into the library one day, uh, the presidential library, and I was like, are there any is, has there been any study about whether or not had there been slavery in Illinois, what Lincoln's perspective might have been if it had been shaped by it being more common in Illinois, because he was struck by it when he was in D.C. And when he went down, was it in in New Orleans, seeing people sold, right? What do you, I mean, it's obviously speculation, but had slavery spread into Illinois, I I think it would be a much different country altogether. 
Well, I mean, you bring up Coles, which is a relevant uh, person for this, because he, of course, famously left Virginia with his legally enslaved uh, black people to free them out in the frontier, which would eventually become the state of Illinois. And even though Illinois was part of the Missouri Compromise, where slavery was supposed to be kept out, for all practical purposes, it was still sort of practiced there as a holdover from territory that used to be owned by France, right? Louisiana Purchase. Anyway, um, Coles is such an important figure because he goes out there and he becomes not only the emancipator of those legally enslaved back in Virginia, which he takes with them and sets them up, I think, on farms in Illinois. He becomes a leading figure to make sure that Illinois remains free when they become a state and establish a free state constitution. That is still a a ripe issue uh, 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 for uh, white Illinoisans. As late as 18... The 1850s, the mid-1850s, a law is actually passed in Illinois banning black people from entering the state. And so the racial aspect of the institution of slavery um, is palpable. Even in Illinois, when slavery is banned, you still have that racial animosity that is driving a lot of the legislation that's going on. So black people who exist, and there aren't that many, there's maybe six, 7,000 in, you know, in, in that decade, uh, and there's hundreds of thousands of white Illinoisans, and yet they can't serve in the uh, blacks can't serve in the militia. They can't be on a jury when there is a white defendant. They can't vote. So there are all these uh, essentially um, it's a free state set of black codes that are in existence there. So whether there was actual slavery there or not, the racial animosity was so palpable that Lincoln um, uh, saw that as something that still needed to be dealt with, regardless of whether it was a free state or a slave state. And it really remember, he was yeah. born in he was born in Kentucky, which is a slave state. So we can't forget that. So, right. you know, he was, you know, he was a kid at the time uh, and then moved to Indiana and then ultimately made his home in Illinois. But, uh, it, you know, Illinois is bordered by slave states. So it's, it was never that far uh, from um, his, as it were, mental landscape. Right. And so and and then the 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 looming threat of it spreading into the Western states. And I know a lot of this will also be covered tomorrow. Again, we're talking to Dr. Lucas Morell and we're talking about the four score speaker series. And it's it's going to be a web a webinar tomorrow at 7 p.m. Follow follow Lucas Morell, Dr. Lucas Morell. And uh, you can go to you can follow him at Lincoln Douglas two S's because the information's all there, uh, how you can register for the webinar. And let me do you mind if we take a break because I want to I want to continue and, and I but I need to pause here if that is that if that's okay with you sure I would appreciate that thank you uh, again follow uh, Dr. Lucas Morell at, at Lincoln Douglas on Twitter it's two S's more in a moment on driving at home with me Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal because facts matter you are listening to WCPT 820 you're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. You are listening to Driving It Home and joining me on the phone is Professor Lucas Morell. You can follow him on Twitter at Lincoln Douglas. <laughs> two S's. Uh, we just, two by the S's. Two S's, by the way, we just changed. Uh, some kids uh, were able to change the name of a park in the city uh, to Frederick Douglas from Stephen Douglas. So that was... Uh, 
No, no kidding. It's now it's Douglas Park with one S. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? Let me let, maybe that's a good place to start because you'd mentioned that uh, while they were uh, bitter bitter rivals, uh, and of course we know uh, that Lincoln eventually tried to surround. Well, he did surround himself with those who he had been in, in conflict with. And you mentioned that uh, you know eventually Stephen Douglas uh, came to admire him. What what was it? No, no, no. Frederick Douglas came to admire him. I'm I sorry, Frederick. About yes, Frederick Douglas, not Stephen Douglas. I'm with you though. Go. Yes, yes. No. What was it about? Uh, about what can you tell us in this series? Uh, warning signs. Uh, you know, what was it that you know drove Lincoln to make the sort of deals and relationships that we continue to essentially, in some ways, benefit from, and in some ways, maybe there's other things that that need to be addressed that weren't quite resolved. Well, we know it wasn't resolved, but I know I put a lot out there. Yeah, I mean, one thing that people have a hard time with with Lincoln is looking back in his history and realizing that he didn't try to do everything at once. He didn't try to accomplish all the justice that should have been done yesterday, right, Uh, at once, because he recognized that in this country you have to persuade people. You can't force them to do things. This is a government that, yes, believes in equality, at least as it states in the Declaration of Independence, right? Will this truth be self-evident? All men are created equal. But we also say that it's got to be based on their consent. You have to get their permission. And so in this country, the role of rhetoric, the art of persuasion is super important. He thought the more important person than a legislator is the person who can persuade the public to vote for that legislator. And so if you have control of public opinion, you basically have control of the country. And so the, the key thing is, how do I persuade enough people to accomplish at least a sufficient amount of justice? That's the mark of statesmanship, is someone who isn't trying to go for everything, right? We always hear, you don't want to make the perfect the enemy of the good. And so you want to at least marshal a sufficient majority of people to at least take some steps towards accomplishing just ends, just um, outcomes and policies. And in that process, you hope to build a bridge towards greater successes. So, for, uh, for example, at the outset of his presidency, Lincoln said, I don't have the power nor the inclination to touch slavery where it exists. Well, what happens Uh, You know, a war happens and that allows him, but not right away. He doesn't choose right away to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. He waits until it was a military necessity, until he could, as I teach my students, turn a humanitarian end, liberation, into a constitutional means only as president and with the powers that the American people gave him through the Constitution, could he do anything about the enormity of slavery. And so he accomplished it, if you will, by baby steps. He didn't get rid of all of slavery. He just uh, emancipated those who were in rebel territories. But then he used that as a stepping stone towards lobbying behind the scenes for the 13th Amendment that eventually eradicates the institution throughout the country. Those are the sorts of ways that we can see someone trying to help the American people be the best version of themselves, if you will, and, and in the process, recognize that the things we are protecting for other people are the very things we want protected for ourselves. I 
don't know. I'm trying to think. I was racking my brain trying to think of people who believe in governing through persuading, uh, and, and rather than I'm just I'm just trying to think of it. And so that was part of my question to you in our conversation, and the you know part of the basis of this forum. I mean, how can you know not just remembering right? We're struggling. We're at a point right now where we have people that don't even want to teach the truth. Right. They don't want people to have access to some of the realities. Right. And look, there was a somebody protested the other day, not protested, somebody vandalized uh, a statue of a young Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and they did it on Thanksgiving. And a lot of oh, folks, wow. well, a lot of folks don't know about the orders he gave in, in, in Minnesota and the uprising oh, yes. there. Right. So right, the Dakota uprising, what they call the Dakota uprising. Yes. Right. So, I mean, it's a look, it's a complicated history. It's a it's a complicated. He's a complicated man. Um, but I. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how does Lincoln's legacy inform our discussions about current threats to American democracy, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I would say that throughout it all, and believe me, when I teach my class, uh, to make it uh, uh, true and accurate and fair and engaging, I have to teach his rivals. I can't just make it, you know, one-sided. Let's just read Lincoln and fall in love with Lincoln. No, what we have to do is see that Lincoln was an alternative he was a political alternative in, throughout the, the latter half of the 1850s, which is to say, without Lincoln, we would have had other paths to try to pursue justice. And I consider those paths flawed, but Stephen Douglas or Jefferson Davis or, um, you know, uh, John Breckinridge, um, if, if we're talking about presidential candidates, Breckinridge and Stephen Douglas. Um, along with Lincoln. So I I try to show my students that to understand Lincoln um, best, we need to see what were the other alternatives that Americans were being presented in terms of understanding what are our rights under this common constitution? What are the, the, what I called earlier, civic habits? What are the ways that we have to act as a people? For example, the rule of law, a respect for the consent of the governed. What are the ways that we need to think about ourselves as fellow human beings and fellow citizens. So, for example, Lincoln said, we got to go back to the Declaration. The Declaration, in Lincoln's mind, was the best expression, and as I put it earlier, the best version of ourselves. At a certain point in time, even when we were you know, surrounded by slaves, if you will, in 1776, slaveholder Thomas Jefferson says, well, what we're doing is actually, in principle, wrong. All men are created equal, right? All men have inalienable rights. I think we have to get back to that language of speaking about and thinking about the things that we all have in common and use that as the building blocks for understanding what would be legitimate policies to pursue that don't just reward the majority, but that the, that we can persuade the majority to enact for the sake of everybody. And it's, it's that kind of language that Lincoln was trying to recover in his own day. In his own day, they were debating what were the founders' intentions. It's a tougher ask when the people disagree about whether we should even listen to the founders. At least in Lincoln's day, everybody thought the founders were right. The problem was whose interpretation of the founders was correct. And that's what he made the political battle uh, of his day in, in 1854 and all the way through his presidency until he was assassinated in 65. 
Incredible. And is now I know that this is the final uh, part of this four part series, Warning Signs. Again, there's a webinar tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, you can f- go to the Lincoln Presidential Forum Twitter page as well, Lincoln Pres Foundation. And uh, it's, it's a it, the vision is to globally connect, protect and expand freedom and democracy inspired by the life and work of President Lincoln. Are there uh, other events coming up that you're a part of that you'd like us to know about? Because I definitely want to have you back on the show, by the way. <laughs> uh, right now, I couldn't tell you any offhand. I'm okay. a part of a group called the Abraham Lincoln Institute, where we have an annual symposium that takes place in March, held okay. at Ford's Theater, and you can Google that. But uh, the near term is uh, the Warning Signs um, webinar that we've been doing for, well, this will be our fourth and, and concluding uh, episode. Well, if you if you follow me back on Twitter, I just followed you, by the way. Um, I might also I might also see some things that you post and be like, "Hey, come on the show!" But I'll try to give you more warning than uh, just a couple hours. Uh, and and uh, let us know what the uh, so tomorrow's event again. This is at seven o'clock, and this is going to be with uh, Dr. Silvana Sadali, uh, and she's yes. a professor, I believe, out of St. Louis. Uh, I'm trying to find all the information, but uh, she's a constitutional historian uh, and a political historian. Because I, I have so many more questions uh, as you can imagine i'm a history dork so i would love to have you back you if, if you would indulge me uh and my best yeah. to you thank you for jumping on with us with such short notice today i appreciate the invitation i, I it's probably gonna be pretty much monthly so <laughs> you're outstanding i mean really this was a lot of fun i because i'm inspired i'm inspired i mean like that's that cuts oh, to the you. quick of it that you know lincoln was a choice to uh, that this is a you know an opportunity to be the best version of ourselves i think is something that we all have to come back to regardless of where we stand politically um but if we want to get things done i think that's something that's very important to keep in mind Excellent. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great evening. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thanks. Let's take a bye break bye. here. Bye bye. We're gonna uh, check in with uh, we're gonna check in with Michael J. Stern from USA Today uh, and why he got blocked by Elon Musk. He, he must have been a bad boy. More in a moment on WCPT eight twenty. We're here till seven. Tune into the Tom Hartman Radio Program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter. WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Over the last few days, I've noticed more and more people that I follow on Twitter have been blocked by Elon Musk. And uh, I reached out to Michael J. Stern, who's a columnist for USA Today. You can read him in a bunch of other places as well, including our very own Chicago Tribune. I said, hey, how come you got banned on Twitter? And he's like, no, 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 I got blocked. And I have to tell you, Michael uh, J. Stern, that I was actually just thinking about one of the tweets that Elon Musk, in his defense, was saying why he had reinstated Trump after being blocked. So I was conflating a lot of words. So thank you for responding to my ignorant uh, request. Hi. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Michael calls himself a mostly unknown opinion columnist. Well, we need to know more about you. Uh, what did you do to get blocked by Elon Musk? So I'm, I'm not sure exactly which of the many tweets that referenced Elon Musk decided to push him over the edge. But at some point, something I said, which probably had something to do with uh, him courting hate speech and the violence that it instigates, um, you know, decided made him decide to block me. And there have been a lot of them, to be fair. Uh, and that's only because he seems to do a lot of courting of hate speech and it seems to be instigating a lot of violence. And so I've had no problem 
pointing that out, and apparently it got under his skin. Right. Do you think he's got a team of people that just all have the account open and like, oh, there's a meanie, they're being mean, or this is the way we'll get back, this is our, our, uh, what he was saying, what was it the other day, that there has to be an other side of wokeism is his whole thing? So this is the retaliation for people speaking their minds in contrast to what he's doing? Listen, I don't know if there is a team looking for the meanies, but, you know, if if there were, I would definitely be one of the meanies when it comes to saying my piece about Elon Musk. But, you know, the thing is that clearly some of the tweeting that goes on is coming directly from him. Um, so I don't know if he blocked it or, you know, some other person who's working for him did it. But the irony is that, you know, he he took over Twitter and promised to reinstate free speech, uh, you know, what he perceives to be free speech. Right. And, and so he unlocked a lot of accounts like Donald Trump's account, um, you know, and a lot of other accounts that really have a lot of hate speech. I mean, Trump instigated um, you know, a violent insurrection, a deadly insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. And so there's no reason, no plausible reason that Musk would have to unlock Trump's account. But he made the decision that he wanted to do it. I mean, so the irony is that if he is a big supporter of free speech, which in his mind is just anyone can say anything they want, which parenthetically is not free speech as it's interpreted by, by the legal system, the U.S. legal system. But if that's his perception why is he blocking columnists from seeing what he writes, which in, in essence then stops us from responding to the things that he writes? That doesn't seem to be consistent with his whole, you know, everyone should be able to say whatever they want at any time, anywhere. And, and that really, I mean, the, the fact that folks can't see uh, what he's not just allowing but inviting right the hate speech that leads to violence we're seeing in the wake of the shooting in Colorado Springs of these the the madness in basically some people saying good or they weren't christian anyway i mean look i get that there's free speech but like that rises to the the level of being amplified and someone calling elon musk on his bs is going to be silenced it's just very strange it's maddening yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's infuriating because now, of course, I can't see the crazy things that he's saying and comment on them. And so if he does that to enough people who are either journalists or write commentary, I mean, he will really end up restricting the ability of people to call him out on the awful things that he does. And that just seems to be inconsistent with his whole claimed philosophy of, of letting everyone say anything they want anytime. So I'm not quite sure how he reconciles these two things, except you know, what's good for the goose is apparently not good for the gander from his perspective. Why do you stay? Why Why are you staying on Twitter? I have friends that are leaving. I, I mean, I just kind of now at this point, I, I it was never like my, it was never great at tweeting. It's not something I've, I just don't wake up thinking, which I tweeted. I just, I have never wanted to, but I, I enjoy scrolling and, 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 you know, I look ahead of January 6th. Uh, I was, one of the things I was posting was like, Hey, let's not counter protest. These people want to start trouble. Just stay out of the way and let law enforcement do their job. Like I felt bad things were coming. Did you feel that way ahead of January 6th? I felt bad things were coming, but I didn't think that they would essentially be allowed to 
you know, escalate into, uh, you know, a fire without anyone trying to effectively put it out. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that we all knew that there was a likelihood that something would happen and that there'd be some violence. But I did not expect there to be a breach of the U.S. Capitol and and, you know, people to die during the course of uh, of what happened. Yeah, I didn't didn't anticipate that, which is why I think Twitter went, holy crap, we need to do something because that was what led them to shut down his account. Was January sixth. Yeah, exactly. And right. so you asked me why I'm staying on Twitter. Yeah, why are you saying yes? Okay, so I'm addicted to several things. One of which is Twitter. Another of which is the Real Housewives. There are all sorts of bad things that I'm addicted to, <laughs> and one of them, one of them is Twitter. And I, I spend way too much time on it. And I'm furious with an editor of mine who I've become friends with, who convinced me to go on Twitter to join it to promote my columns. Um, but it is addicting. There are a lot of very interesting, smart people, and you can communicate with them, and you know you can promote what you write. And I write for a lot of different newspapers. And if I'm going to write, I certainly want people to see it. And the other thing is, I just really bad at technology. So learning a different website <laughs> is something that I'm not looking forward to. I've oh, I- mastered. I've I've mastered the Bluebird, and I don't want to let it go. But I may have to. Yeah, I've never mastered the Bluebird, but I'm definitely like the Mastodon. I don't don't understand. I'm like with social or international or some German site. I don't know what I'm doing here. I put I put one post and I I don't even know how to get back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alyssa, I'm completely with you. I I joined Mastodon. I don't even know how to get to my own profile. Right. Um, (laughs) So what I don't understand is why someone doesn't create a Twitter lookalike, you know, that doesn't have all the nastiness and the hate speech and the calls for violence and, you know, something with a very similar, simple format that those of us who would like to spend less time on Twitter could actually figure out how to use. Listen, I I applied for something called Post that, that, you know, several people have told me is supposed to be fairly um, intuitive. Although if you're an incompetent with technology like I am, nothing is really intuitive. But, you know, when I applied for it a couple of days ago, it said that there were 141,000 people ahead of me. I'm on the wait list. So, yep, me too. I'm waiting for that. And people have told me, check your uh, check your spam folders. Just <laughs> I, Yeah, some folks have sent me links to post. Uh, but I, I, I just, I barely am doing any of these. It is hard because uh, sometimes you just go for a sip of water and it's like opening the fire hydrant and all of a sudden you're just like a gusher. Uh, I'm getting drenched in everything that's happening all at once. I mean, I'm, I'm reading some of your tweets about, uh, oh my God, Herschel Walker. Uh, did you make this, this picture with uh, Trading Places with Bellamy? No, I didn't. <laughs> you know, I saw that. I'm- Facebook and I thought, wow, someone has done a great job because, you know, Herschel Walker does not like now to show up for interviews without, you know, like Lindsey Graham on the left and Ted Cruz on the right. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there is some control set in the back of his, you know, behind him that they're using to control what he says or, you know, a button that pushes that they push to shock him when he's referring to an election (laughs) as an erection. Did you see that? Yes, I've mentioned that in the last hour. It's like, okay, I mean, so, yeah. you know, at some point they must be hitting him or shocking him or doing something to get him to stop saying the crazy things that he does. But he still comes out with referring to an election as an erection. So clearly it's not working. Oh, my um, God. Too funny. So what's amazing to me is half the people, half the voting public in Georgia 
still, after seeing all of the craziness, and some of which is funny, and some of which is serious, like Herschel Walker held a gun, or is alleged to have held a gun to his ex-wife's head and threatened to blow her brains out. I mean, he's talked about playing Russian roulette. He's talked about, you know, you know, graphically described how he would like the pleasure of shooting someone and watching blood gushing from their head. I mean, these are really serious things. And knowing all of this, because none of it is hidden, knowing that he claimed to be a police officer, but wasn't, knowing that he claimed to graduate, uh, you know, valedictorian from his class and didn't, <laughs> That's so crazy. Voters in Georgia, half of the voters yeah. went and voted for him. It is just blowing my mind that something like that could actually be happening. But it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. I mean, like, it shouldn't even be close just on the things that he says. But I mean, the thing is, I mean, that's why the, the trading places picture is so perfect, because they said after he came out or, or after two women came forward and said that he had uh, both requested and paid for them to have abortions. An abortion. Yeah. yeah. They, and then so these people are saying, who was the one woman who said, I don't care if he's aborting baby eagles. And you're like, what are we talking about? As long as he does the things that we want. So they're just saying we're going to manipulate him to do the things that we want. Tell him if he wants to stay there, play by our rules. Uh, and you're just the, you're just the face. You're the, the name on the ballot because they love football in Georgia. And, you know, in many ways, that's that is that's sort of the new standard of the Republican Party, because Donald Trump was never considered to be a not only not a genius, but he was never even considered to be politically competent. But the evangelicals knew that he would vote for whatever it was they wanted, like the Supreme Court, like abortion issues, like anti-LGBT issues. And consequently, they were willing to make that really sort of horrific, immoral compromise of putting some awful, despicable, immoral, you know, a morally bankrupt person in power in order to get what they want from him, despite, you know, all the awfulness that he represents and and has done. And that just seems to be, you know, the new standard of the Republican Party. And not only is it the new standard, but they're not even embarrassed about it anymore. I mean, they are just sort of blatant about it and and nothing is going to stop them. No, not at all. You're right. You know, the uh, the the fact that no Republican can denounce the fact that Donald Trump had Nick Fuentes and Yee at his house. Uh, and they're just like for dinner, for dinner, Does it, for dinner. I, he's feeding. He's feeding the anti-Semite. Uh, yeah, he's feeding them. Yeah. The white supremacists. Yeah. And they have, they're just like, oh, you know, what? he didn't know. The same way he didn't know who David Duke was when David Duke endorsed him. The same way there were good people on both sides in Charlottesville. Like, what? Do you, every day do you wake up like I do? What is happening? Or do you feel like you've plateaued with your surprise and shock? No, no, no. Listen, you know, I was a federal prosecutor for 25 years and I left the Department of Justice and people have said to me, how did you get into writing? Is this something you'd always want to do? You know, is this something you had dreamed of? You know, you've reached your your fantasy. No, I didn't think about becoming a writer, but I got so furious with Donald Trump and his administration that I found that the catharsis for me was sitting down and writing. And so I was shocked when I sent a column to the Chicago Tribune. It was when Jeff Sessions was the attorney general and the column, you know, was was um, uh, headline and the column was Jeff Sessions makes me glad I left the Department of Justice. And the next thing I knew, you know, uh, Chicago Tribune had published it and it was huge. And it was like their their number one opinion 
piece for the, you know, for the weekend. And then I just began to try and channel all of my anger into writing. And sure enough, it turns out that other people are angry in, in the way that I am. And so I never seem to plateau because you know, the Republicans never stop. There is no there. I was going to say there's there's no, you know, high level that they will stop at. And really, it's there's no low level. There is no bottom for them. They always seem to find some way of going lower on the scale of morality and political horror. So, no, I haven't plateaued every day. I'm shocked. <laughs> And every day I will either write or I will have to restrain myself and do something other than writing. And and too much of it is, as I said, going on Twitter or watching The Real Housewives is a horrible distraction that I need to break myself. If if you like comedies, uh, may I recommend that there's a series I love. It's both a British series and then it was made into an American version. Uh, Ghosts is a very lovely little show that we love. Uh, The American version, they try too hard to basically go joke for joke and over explain things. But it gets better. I'm just saying. I, I uh, it's my oh, recommendation. Man. Ghosts. Yeah, the BBC version okay. and the CBS version is fine, and it gets better. And I actually enjoy it. And my friends uh, tell me that it gets them teary eyed. There's always something sweet. Uh, but I just I'm trying to find something to help you pace yourself because I love what you do. No, listen, <laughs> I, I would like to be. I would like to go more, much more highbrow in my television watching than the Housewives. And you know, clearly I am at the bottom of that category, so I have no place else to go. But yeah. <laughs> There have been a couple of things that I've watched that have been great. Like, have you seen um, Afterlife, which is Ricky Gervais' magnificent Yes, it's story. very good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I thoroughly enjoy that, too. Yeah, I, I we, maybe what we'll do is we'll check in once in a while and see what we're doing to uh, uh, for self-care. Maybe it is binge watching or whatever, because there's just there's just so much uh, when as a federal, a former federal prosecutor. What, what, like I, I, that's the other part. Like that's got to make you crazy to see them getting away. I mean, that's what made everybody crazy was watching Trump get away with so much in office. And now to just the, people have a sense of urgency. They want something done now. And you probably know that, you know, prosecutors can't go in unless they're absolutely certain they have a solid case. So like seeing it from that perspective, how, what are your feelings uh, when you see every every press conference? Yep. Yeah, it's infuriating. I mean, you know, what are my feelings? There is just so much that's, that's clicking around inside my head. And, you know, Donald Trump has violated so many federal laws so many state laws. And it's not like he's done it secretly. He's done it, you know, in in plain view. So the evidence is there. The problem is going to be, as I see it, and I wrote a column for the New York Daily News about why I think uh, DOJ has not yet indicted Trump. And and that is that it's going to be extremely difficult to get a conviction um, because all you need is one Republican juror, one MAGA juror, and they can hang the jury. And it's it's very tough for DOJ to come to, um, you know, to come to an indictment and a prosecution if they don't think they stand a good chance of getting conviction. And I think that, you know, in today's day and age, if you get one Republican juror who is a strong supporter of Trump, that person will very likely hang the jury. And so there are all sorts of 
There, there's all sorts of analysis that's going on undoubtedly behind the scenes at DOJ that is way above and beyond your typical, this is, a, this is the crime that we're looking at, this is the law, is there evidence that the person committed the crime? And, and you know, even within the DOJ manual, the U.S. Attorney's Manual, uh, one of the considerations has to be whether or not it's likely to get a conviction. And I just think it's going to be really difficult because of, of you know, a hung jury. Man, so it's going to continue to be uh, frustrating for folks, is what you're saying. Me and Lady, my, my producer, we're just like, yeah, our heads explode almost every day. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that at some point the analysis will be. And by the way, the U.S. Attorney Manual also does allow for an indictment if the evidence is there and it will support a conviction, even though they think that there's going to be a problem getting a conviction because a person's a celebrity or is well liked. They have the ability to do it. And my hope is that at some point they will simply say, we can't we can't not do it anymore, that the damage that is going to be done by not trying to bring a prosecution at some point has crossed the threshold and the potential damage that may be done by bringing a prosecution, having the evidence and still not getting a conviction. But it is frustrating. It's it is every morning I wake up, you know, perfectly fine for about two seconds. And then I you know look at the news. Yeah. And I'm in a, you know, I'm in a crappy mood. And, you know, my friends will tell you that I have a history of being in a bad mood, even under the best of circumstances. (laughs) So what's going on now with the Republican Party um, and, you know, and the state of democracy in the United States just makes me angry and cranky all of the time. Well, if you uh, if you're up for venting with me every once in a while, I'd love to have you back. Yeah, I would love to. Does that sound good to you? Awesome. I would love that. I'll, I'll yeah. reach out. And uh, and if there's something coming up that you want people to know about an article or to feel free to, to reach out and say, hey, can I jump on? Literally, that's my invitation. Please do. That, that sounds great. Excellent. So, Michael J. Sir, where can people find more of your work, in, aside, including following you on Twitter? Where would you like to direct them? So go to Michael J. Stern, the number one on Twitter. And, and, you know, for the last couple of years, when I write a column um, for any of the publications I work for, I'll put it on Twitter. I, I may have to start reconsidering that. Nice. Um, so stay tuned. If if I make it through the 141,000 people ahead of me, I may be on post at some point. <laughs> All right. Well, if I if I make it there, I'll, uh, I'll let you know, too, and, and we'll figure it out together. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure meeting you uh, on, uh, and chatting with you. And I look forward to the next time. Sounds good. Bye bye. Have a lovely night and go watch ghosts. It's your assignment. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to. Excellent. BBC bye. first. I like it better. All right. Take care. Have a good night. Let's uh, take a break here and wrap up when we come back. Yeah, I'm driving it home with me, Patty Vasquez, WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Stocking stuffer season. I, I love stocking stuffers, you guys, by the way. So I'm excited to read this. Stocking stuffer season is here. Monaco Brewing Company is celebrating Cyber Monday until midnight tonight with discounts on their progressive beer merchandise. Get the... Visit the Get Merchandise, uh, visit the Get Merch section of the Monaco Brewing Company website. And for today only, you will find 10 to 25% savings on selected progressive gear like caps, koozies, t shirts, hoodies 
tank tops and leggings. Choose reason over treason by treating yourself as well as your rational thinking friends and loved ones to unique political fashion statements this holiday season by visiting Monaco Brewing Company today. So that's monacobrewingcompany.com and uh, their Cyber Monday deals go until midnight tonight. If you guys are out there, you know, there's some, some place you can pick up some great t-shirts and leggings for your friends. By the way, uh, our good friend Jerry just texted me that the uh, Alderman Ed Burke, Chicago's longest serving alderman, will not seek re-election for the first time in more than 50 years. Thank you for the update, Jerry. Appreciate that. We're going to turn it over now. Thank you so much. Uh, Mike Crute's up next with Devil's Advocate. Lady B, good to see you. Have a great evening, everybody. Bye-bye.